So once all of the villagers decided that they ought to pray for rain, so they gathered the time together to do that, and they prayed, and yet only one little boy brought an umbrella with him. Hmm, interesting. So is this a message about weather forecasting? Probably not. Is it a message about prayer, about faith? Perhaps doubt that God hears and answers prayers? Well, we're in this sermon series, and uh, we're looking at breaking sin's grip and the power of the cross to do that. And on Ash Wednesday, Pastor John preached for us, and he talked about the power of pride in our life and the sinfulness that that brings in. And then he talked about having pure humility. And then Pastor Mark was in here last week, and he looked at the, at the negative power of deceit, of lies, and, and how truth should be found in God's Word. And today... I want us to take a look at the fact that uh, doubt impedes our walk with the Lord and, and how trust can dispel doubt. But you know, there's a verse that has fascinated me over the years. Uh, it's not on the screen here, but Mark 9. It says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. Isn't that an interesting sentence? I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Doubts crept in, and, and it's interesting. There's some doubts that we should have, right? You go on the internet and a lot of the scams and things there, you should doubt that those are real, or some of those uh, uh, lose weight fast diet fans and all those things that are there. But it would not be wise to doubt God and to doubt his love for you. But doubt can ca- be caused by lots of stuff, uh, perhaps caused by low self-esteem, uh, maybe uncertainty, fear of failure, criticism, And basically, we doubt what we don't see. So, for instance, folks, I have $100 right here in my hand. And many of you are going, I doubt that. And yet, I think you would say, well, I don't doubt Pastor Dave. I don't think he'd lie to me. And yet, there's no evidence that a pastor can even have $100, much less bring it and show it to you. And why would he do that? And you'd say, show me the money. And then I would open my hand and show you the money. Now, see, now that you can see it, you don't need any faith. There's no doubt the facts are right in front of you. And, and so I think that happens in many areas of our lives. We say, show me the money, so to speak. If I don't see it, then I'm going to doubt it. But if I see it, it really doesn't take faith then. So I want us to look a little bit on what the spiritual meaning of doubt is all about. It's wavering between two minds or lacking confidence or assurance or complete trust in God. James talks about that where if you doubt, you're like a wave and you're just going in and out and you'll be carried by whatever's there. And there's lots of doubts in our life. Sometimes we doubt our future. We call that worry, right? Or we doubt other people. We call that suspicion. Maybe we doubt ourselves and we call it inferiority. Or maybe we doubt that anything good will ever happen, and that's pessimism. But when we doubt God's promises, that's despair in our life. And yet we know that life can be tough. We know stuff happens, and it causes us to sometimes doubt or question God and his love for us. So how does all of this begin? Well, it begins at the beginning there. Satan tempted Adam and Eve to doubt God, to doubt his plans for him. And this is such an interesting story. It was paradise. God put them in paradise. Said, this is for you. Enjoy it. Take care of it. It's my plan for you. And yet very quickly we read 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, Satan's messing with her. He wants her to start doubting that she even knows what God is saying. He wants her to, to be able to doubt that she has that knowledge. Wants there to be a little bit of loophole in what God's word might have said. But she knows God's word. And so the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Must not touch it or you will die. So, so far, things are looking pretty good right now, right? But Satan doesn't give up. He sees that she knows God's word. Now he wants to make her doubt the logic of God's word. And he says, no, you'll certainly not die, serpent says to the woman. He knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. And in other words, it says, if God really loves you, then he'd let you have whatever you want and do whatever you want. He would never try to stifle your plans to gain the wisdom that God has. And then, of course, we know where that doubt led to. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it, gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Wow, think about it. Doubting God's word and doubting that God's word is good for her. When we look in a small catechism, it tells us that doubt about God's word leads to denial about God's word, which leads to disbelief, which leads to disobedience, which results in death. This is a whole cycle that happens when we allow ourselves to doubt and not trust what God is saying to us. So are Adam and Eve the only biblical characters that we read about that maybe have issues with doubt? No. Think of Moses, this great man of faith. He started to have doubts out wandering in the wilderness and doubting whether God could even use him as a leader. Gideon, think about Gideon. I mean, God chose him in spite of all the doubts he had. He tells God, prove it to me. I want to know I'm going to have this military victory. And then I love Jonah when he, he has doubts about the character of God. You would forgive those people. Wow, that doubt in Jonah. You know, Jonah doubted whether, whether God was going to be there with him. And Peter, we know that Peter had doubts as well. And, and he had enough faith to get out of the boat. And then he saw some waves and he started to doubt. And even the disciples, you know, this is an interesting verse. It says that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And we know later in the story, they're hiding in doubt and fear. But despite all of these fears and doubts that these Bible characters have, God works in and through them. He overcomes their doubts. He puts trust into them, and he uses them in powerful ways. And then, of course, the most famous of all of the doubters we know, Thomas, right? Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection. But can you imagine him? I mean, let's think about it. Jesus died right in front of him. He saw that he died. He saw his dead body. And yet in the story, it says that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Let me go back to the next one here. Peace be with you. After this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were hiding. They were hiding. 
Jesus wants to calm their doubts and cause their, calm their fears. And he says, here I am. Let me show you the $100, and you can see that I'm not lying. I have a plan for you, and I love you. Well, we also know that Thomas wasn't there that day. I did a little research. He was at McDonald's getting Big Mac and fries for all the guys, but he shows up, and it says, now, Thomas, known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when he came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Exciting words, right? But think for a minute. What would you have done if you were Thomas? You walked with Jesus. You heard him talk. But you saw him die and his body removed and doubts were coming in. And so he speaks up and he said, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Ouch. Talk about doubt. Now the question of the hour is what would you have done if you were Jesus after Thomas doubted you like that? And I very ashamedly admit, if I were Jesus, I'd have made a spectacle of him. I'd have shook him in front of everybody and said, look at I'm here. Now I want you to believe. What's wrong with you? Why didn't you trust in me? We're pretty lucky that I'm not God, aren't we? But listen very, very, very closely to how Jesus addresses this. It says a week later, the disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And once again, he says, peace be with you. And then he said, Thomas, hey, come here, Thomas. Come on over here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Isn't this incredible? Do you see the love of Jesus for Thomas and for us? When we have those weaknesses, when we have those doubts, when we're just not sure, he comes and gently answers us. He gently and lovingly assured Thomas, that he was the son of God. He didn't yell at him. He didn't mock him. He didn't make him punish. He didn't make him do any of those things. He just says, I want to turn your doubt into trust. And it worked. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. Faith was restored. Doubt was replaced with trust in the Lord. Now, this section ends in a strange place because it says, Jesus then said, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us, right? Every one of us. That's us. And Jesus says we are blessed. And I feel really bad for Thomas. You know, all of history knows him as the doubting guy, even though all the disciples had doubts and fears at the same time. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will admit we have doubts and fears as well. At times, we all tend to doubt stuff, right? We tend to doubt God, his plan, what's going on. And I think sometimes we just doubt whether God loves me. And it starts with the why questions, right? Uh, why did I get cancer if you love me, God? Uh, why did I lose my job if you love me, God? You know, why don't I have any close friends? And, and why is my marriage on shaky grounds? And why, why, why? Which causes us to start to doubt God. And we doubt God when our present situation doesn't look the way we want it. And so we doubt that God could love us. And Satan loves it. Satan's just going, all right, I can get in there now. First Peter talks about that. Tells us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
So what can you do to ward off Satan when he's trying to tempt you and lure you away? Well, I think what you do is you focus in on your baptismal relationship with the Lord. I am a child of God. God loves me. God has a plan for me. I'm an heir to his eternal kingdom. And when I have those times of doubt and temptation and failure and moments of weakness, I can say I'm trusting in that relationship that he is there for me, that he loves me unconditionally. But let's get real for a minute. Every single one in this room and watching online, every one of us sin. It's a fact. We got a disease called sin, and the symptoms that we have the disease are all those sins that we do. And that separates us from God. It's a fact. And yet God loves you in spite of all that. That's a fact as well. And he says, I'll send my son to take the place, to repair the the relationship with us. That's a fact as well. And the fact of all facts is that God loves each and every one of you. Can trust in his promise. How much does God love you? God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, we're not going to perish. We have eternal life. He loves you enough of this on the cross for you. So let me assure every single one that's in this room and watching online, everyone, God loves you on the good days and the not-so-good days. God loves you in the good seasons and the not-so-good seasons. God loves you unconditionally. You never have to doubt that. Now, sometimes people have doubt about whether God could ever forgive me. You know, on our own, we know we can't do nothing, right? We can't take care of the sins that we committed. The catechism, again, it tells us that I cannot and should not rely on myself in any way. My thoughts, feelings, words, deeds. Wow, does that sound hopeless for us, right? But the catechism goes on. But rather, I can be sure. No doubts about it, I can be sure, because God who has promised the forgiveness of sin for Christ's sake, always keeps his promises. Every morning in my morning prayer times, I pray, Lord, in your mercy and for the sake of Jesus' death on the cross, please forgive all of my sins. And he does, he does, and he'll do the same for you. His word tells us that. It starts out saying that if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You might be going, really? Even what I did last week? God would forgive that even? Yes, that even. Now what I want us to do is I want us to ask God to forgive us. And so I'm asking you to read with me some words that might be familiar, but I've changed them a little and put... I and me in there to make sure that it's your confession of faith. So let's read these words together. Most merciful God, I confess that I am nature, sinful and unclean. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Forgive me, renew me, and lead me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways 
to the glory of your holy name. If that's your prayer, your sins are forgiven. No need to doubt ever, ever, ever again. You know, early on in my faith journey, I met this guy, and he was a nice guy, and we talked. And he said to me, you know, when I die, I'm going to knock on the gate of heaven, and St. Peter will say, why should I let you in? And I'm going to say, because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. My sins are forgiven. And he said, if for some reason St. Peter goes, "Uh uh-uh, not good enough, this guy told me I would scream and yell and demand to see Jesus right this minute. Bring him here. And this guy's talking, and I'm thinking, what a whack job. You're going to demand to see Jesus? What's that all about? But you know what? He's right. God promises you your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. It's a fact. No need to doubt that fact. So God loves you. God forgives you. And then I think sometimes we doubt if God has a plan to use us. I think we kind of say, well, I don't know. I have what it takes. Let the pastors do it. They get paid anyway. You know, I think it's just like Moses, right? Moses said, who, me? I'm a nobody. I'm totally inadequate. I don't want to do that. Moses said it to God. What am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? He says, I don't speak well. I don't know what to say. And God just simply says, that's okay. I will be with you. And the rest is history. Maybe you have some doubts that God would have a plan to use you. Well, Jeremiah 29 is pretty popular and familiar with you. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Every one of you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Trust in the fact that God wants to use you in his kingdom. Every one of us gets 168 hours a week, right? Do we sleep maybe 56 hours a week? And, and what does God want you to do with your other 112 hours? Well, he wants you to glorify him with your words, with your actions at work, at school, business, wherever it might be. If you're wondering, so what might be the things God wants me to do, take a shape test, not a body mass test. I'm not talking about how much you weigh or if you're out of shape, but a shape test that talks about how did God wire you to accomplish the plans he has for you. And we use this many times, and we talk about our shape as being our spiritual gifts and our heart and our abilities and our personalities and our experiences. And you might say, oh, spiritual gifts, uh, uh, what is that all about? Well, God promises he gives to each one of us at least one spiritual gift, this gift that he gives to us to be used for God's glory, to be used for his church, to be bringing people to him. Now, you may say, well, I'm not sure what that all means for me. Well, on your way out, you can grab one of these yellow sheets that are by the door there. Just a quick little test you would take. Check some things off there. The back kind of talks about some of those spiritual gifts that are out there. Benny's email's on there if you want to communicate with her, and she can help you work through that. But in addition to the spiritual gifts, where's your heart? Uh, What's your passion? What excites you in life? What abilities do you have? What things do you do well and other people maybe don't do so well? What's your uh, personality like? We're all wired differently, and and it works in certain situations to God's glory. We're puzzle pieces that are different, but together we work. What are your experiences? What have you tried? What do you do in life? What are things that might open you up to be able to be used by God? And then to say, Lord, cast my doubts away from me. Strengthen my faith. 
Help me to be bold. Help me to go out and trust the fact that you have plans for me. Now, as Christians, uh, we may have doubts, and yet the power of the cross is available to help us deal with and overcome those doubts through trusting in the Lord. So let's talk about this. God made us. We fall short in sin. But because of the cross, because of Jesus' death for you on the cross, you can live a life that glorifies him. He suffered and died on the cross for you. And because of the power of that cross, we don't ever have to doubt him. There's a verse that many of us know in Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust always overcomes doubt. I like to look at different translations sometimes. So the message translation of that same verse says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. Now you might say, okay, Pastor Dave, everything you said makes sense, it's good, but how do I get more trust? How do I get more faith? How do I get rid of the doubts I have? Well, the first is to turn to God's word, God's letter to you. You gotta come to a place in life where God's word is more real to you than anything you can see or taste or smell or hear or feel. God's word becomes real to you. And you say, well, why would I do that? Well, because all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every one of those good works that God wants you to do. When you're in doubt, refer back to God's word. Ask God to help you apply the word to your situation and your circumstances. And how are you going to know what God's will for you is if you don't read his book that tells you what his will and his plan is for you. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Want more faith? Read more word of God. So maybe you also uh, should be seeking God's will through prayer. Think about that. I think about it daily. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful, all-loving God gives me his cell phone number. It says, call me anytime you want, day or night. Any issues, any concerns, any doubts, any direction that you need. And he gives you that same number. It's prayer. And yet, I think sometimes we think prayer is us telling God what he needs to know. And part of it is that. Let him know what's on your mind. But listening back so it's a conversation, not a lecture from you to God. Find a quiet spot. Take your fingers out of your ears and say, Lord, I'm listening. What do you want me to do in my life? Take all of those doubts because Satan just wants to use them against me. He wants to do just like he did with Eve. He wants to get you to question God. Trust him. Don't be like those people in that opening story. Well, we're going to pray to God for rain, but it ain't going to happen, so we don't bother bringing our umbrella with us. When you ask, you must believe, not doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person did not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And once we get to that point, it's faith in action. It'll be an opportunity for us to step out boldly in faith. 
See, we can be boldly in faith because of the fact we know that God loves us and he promises to be with us. This is a great verse in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why all that? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And just like Moses and Abraham and Gideon and Jonah and Peter, God's got a plan for you too. Probably not going to be taking two million people through the desert. Probably not calling you to walk on water. Probably not calling you to preach to the people in Nineveh. But he has a plan for you. Trust in his plan because that plan is going to help you reach out to people in your family, at your work, at your school, your neighbors, your friends, and right here at church. Trust God. Trust A, that he loves you, B, that he forgives you, and C, because of all that, he wants to use you. You never, ever, ever have to doubt God's love, his grace, his mercy, his plans for you. You don't have to doubt those. And when you do, get into his word, pray, and seek his will for you. And when you do, you can doubt your doubts, and you can believe your beliefs. And then God's got you in the right place. So a couple action steps as you walk out of here today. Are you ready to say, I will not doubt, but instead trust the fact that God loves me? He loves every one of you unconditionally. And once that settles in, say, and I'm not going to doubt, but instead I'm going to trust the fact that God forgives me. Every sin you confess will be forgiven. And then are you ready to say, hey, I'm not going to doubt. Instead, I'm going to trust the fact that God's got plans for me. And then seek out to boldly do whatever those plans are. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promise that you are with us always, Lord. Help us to seek your will, to be able to be avenues by which you use so the Holy Spirit can empower us with gifts and abilities so that we can be used to impact the lives of other people. To your glory, Lord. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more about Royal Redeemer. We want you to be a part of our Royal Redeemer family here. May God richly bless you and guide you, and I truly look forward to seeing you soon.